Okay, people, coming up on Just for Sport, I give props to a mentor of mine, Diane Roberts. She's an Edward R. Murrow Award winner, Emmy-nominated, Telly Award winner, uh, 25 years experience in television as a sports anchor, reporter, and in news as well. Uh, we get into a lot of different topics. Of course, we talk about the civil unrest today, sports and its role in trying to continue the conversation, what she wants to see from the media and sports, and just her thoughts on what's going on today in the world. We get into her career and starting her own company, Diane's Talking, at dianestalking.com. We talk about that, what it's like to be a freelancer in this new landscape. A lot of good conversations coming up on Just for Sport in three, two, one. All right, thanks, Diane, for giving me some of your time. I really appreciate it. How are you doing today? My pleasure. You know you're one of my favorite former <laughs> interns. And it's funny because I don't care how long you've been out of school and in the workforce, I still think of you as an intern, but you are so accomplished. And so I'm thrilled and honored to be on your show. Thank you very much. And I, okay, first and foremost, before we get into sports and anything, I cannot keep up with you with social media. You are the queen no. of having everything covered. You are so good at it. Mm. Why? Why do you should say that? Well, you know why? Because um, I, I'm freelance, so and I have my own business. So that means what's great about it is I don't have one person in charge of what I do and when I do it and where I do it. I don't, mm -hmm. I, I'm mostly in charge of my life and my schedule mostly. But the bad thing about that is there's a lot of hustle involved. Yeah. So I'm always looking for things to do. I'm always looking for things to be a part of that interest me because I think when you first start in the business or any business, when you first start, you are doing more of what you have to do. You're learning the craft. You're working long hours, nights and weekends. You're doing everything you have to do to, so you can get better, so that you can get to the place where you can start making decisions more for yourself. Mm -hmm. And so now, you know, I've been in the business long enough that I, that I went freelance so that I could be more in charge of myself. Mm -hmm. It also means that I spend a lot of time pre-COVID, a lot of time in pajamas, um, watching TV or looking for that next hustle, but that's okay because it ebbs and it flows. Like yeah. last week, I went on my first interview since the pandemic, uh, interviewed someone from the World Food Program uh, from the, of the United Nations World Food Program, interviewed them. That will be part of a story that's gonna air on Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien, another correspondent's doing the story. I just picked up the interview in DC for her. And then I worked three days a week at Voice of America. And then uh, I do interviews with different folks. I actually, today I had a phone interview for a potential job. Oh, wow. That I'm okay. so excited about. It's a freelance gig. Um, I don't actually want to say anything about it. Because mm -hmm. what it is, is very cool and very needed mm -hmm. at this time. But I don't want to say anything until I know it's really something. Yeah. Um, but it's something different than what I, what I do now. And I also, uh, I do public speaking training. I do media training. I do sports, you know, reporting and anchoring. I haven't in a while, but that's, you know, been my career since I've been here in DC. So, but I started in news a long time ago. So I have a little bit of foot in news, a little bit of foot in sports. I do radio, I do TV, I do training and media coaching. I do and voiceover work. I do a little bit of everything and I, I love it. Yeah. I really, I really do. And you, of course, you can go to dianestalking.com to find out more about what she's doing and hopefully get involved and hire her. But, you know, I, I too myself started my own production company to work on some passion projects. Mm -hmm. How much do you enjoy kind of being your own boss and picking your mm -hmm. own projects because I have enjoyed the versatility of like you talk about being in sports, being out of sports, working with a corporate client versus an individual, you know? I did a really cool project last year, early last year for a church in town, Augustana Lutheran Church in Washington, D.C., very old established church. It was celebrating its 100th anniversary. Mm -hmm. And someone who's very involved in that church used to work with me in Tampa. 
we both worked at the NBC wow. affiliate in Tampa and we it ended up, we both live here in DC. So he knew of my storytelling uh, abilities and he knew of my passion about telling stories. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, Oh, I think Diane would be able to do this. So we, we negotiated, we came up with a budget and we came up with this plan. And the idea was for me to interview some of the older um, members of the church, tell a story about them and they would preserve it for all time. It was part of their hundredth anniversary, um, you know, project. So that's not something I would have gone looking for, mm -hmm. but it was one of the best projects I did. One, because I got to hear amazing stories. And the main thing to know about this church is, so it sits, um, it's not downtown, it's like a mile or two from downtown, but it's on the street in like 16th or 14th or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it sits right in the middle of a black neighborhood. It started out as a Swedish church. Mm. And then in the 50s, the 1950s, uh, the pastor and the parishioners, they were like, we have to reach out to people in our neighborhood. They don't go to our church. Yeah. So they did something called the, uh, I think it was called the Operation One Mile. So within a one mile radius of the church, mm -hmm. they went out walking, knocking on doors, inviting the black people from the neighborhood to come to their church. Yeah. And they yeah. did. And so 100, fast forward 100 years later, this church has black members, white members, old members, young members, singles, marrieds, gay, straight, you wow. name it. Yeah. Families. I mean, they have every kind of person. It's like the world I want to live in. Mm -hmm. right where everybody yeah. is together so it was amazing and and so you know i got to hear some really cool stories um put it all together and i got to hire the photographer and hire the editor and um you know pick the music and it yeah. was really fun we had one kind of snafu where they have a very um uh there's a young kid who work who goes to the church who has aspirations to you know work in television or production in some way mm -hmm. and so he's very accomplished for his age and they thought that maybe he could edit it and we started out we tried it but he's not at that level yet so yeah. then I ended up having to but but you know because I'm a professional because I've been doing this for a long time I was able to say okay well this doesn't really meet the quality that we want to do mm -hmm. and then I was able to um, hire an editor plus the young man got to see and learn. learn. Yeah. You know, it yeah. was sort of like an internship when you're in high school, but not really. So it was a really, a really cool project. Yeah. Um, and that's just not, you know, but yeah. that's the thing I've done. I've done a, a project for this company that matches artists with the people who buy the art. Mm. So, I interviewed all of the artists that were part of their collective and we did videos for each of the artists and their tagline was know the artist, know the art. Yeah. And their whole thing was when you buy a piece of art, you can have direct dialogue with the artist. Mm -hmm. Either you meet them at a gallery or you have email or phone or whatever. So you get to know them. Oh, why did you paint that? Or what were you thinking when you painted that? Or why did you? So, you know, I hired an editor, hired a photographer and, um, in fact, you probably know the photographer I used, Rich Daniel. Oh, a little bit. A little <laughs> bit, okay. Rich Daniel, yeah, so um, it, was, it was really cool work. It was, yeah. uh, it was really cool. So yeah. I've gotten and, and, a lot of cool things. And, and, and you've been, you know, it's funny because when, when I found out that you're working for Voice of America, I was like, well, now she's worldwide. Who knows who's listening know. to you? The Voice of America, you could be anywhere in the world. And somebody says, I recognize your voice. Why did you take that opportunity? What has it been like, you know, working for Voice of America? So I am a news update anchor for Voice of America radio. They do radio and TV. Um, it broadcasts, so Voice of America broadcasts, and I should have looked this up. I believe it's 45 languages around the world. 40 or 45 languages around the world. And you can speak all of them, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you, and their biggest client for radio anyway is Africa, the continent of Africa, mm. where more people listen than anywhere else. Mm. And so I just find it 
fascinating. So I post a lot on Instagram, Diane's.talking on Instagram and Twitter and my professional Facebook, Diane's Talking. But I, I'm always posting like, hey, it's the you know, beginning of my day, broadcasting worldwide. And then after I'm done posting it, I'm like, yeah. I'm broadcasting worldwide. worldwide. <laughs> it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I like it. I, I have one of the best bosses I've ever had in broadcasting. I love that it's something very different than the local news background I started mm-hmm. in, than the local sports background, or even the global sports background, having worked at Sirius XM Sports. It's different because I have to think about not just what's making news in Washington, D.C., Mm-hmm. or in the United States of America, but the world. Yeah. What's happening, yeah. with, you know, in France, in Great Britain, in South Africa, in Australia. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. And so yeah. right now it's a little disheartening because um, the hardest thing, not hard, um, sad, the saddest thing, most disheartening thing, one of that I have to do is I'm reading COVID-19 numbers every hour. Yeah, um, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, how many people have died, how many people are confer- are infected with confirmed cases and, you know, been watching um, which countries have, of course, the United States of America has had the most infections and the most deaths, but to watch Brazil has just risen up the ranks and they're now number two. It's, it's mind boggling. So those mm-hmm. kinds of things, I would not have been in tune to in my sports life. Yeah. But it is fascinating to see what's happening around the world, not just with COVID-19, but with all sorts of stories Mm -hmm. of war and strife, but also good things that are happening, you know, policies that are being made or, you know, politics of different countries. My work, the hardest thing is, um, uh, and we have a, we have a pronouncer on voiceofamerica.com. There's a pronunciation guide. So I go there all the time, type in a name <laughs> and they, and so someone, you know, pronounces it and I'm like, oh, okay, that's how you okay. say it. <laughs> Not what I would have said. Yeah. Yeah. So you're getting the education on what's yeah. going on in the world uh, and how to say yeah. certain things yeah. too, right? Cause yeah, some, yeah. some, you know, or even my favorite is um, the president of Russia. How mm-hmm. would you say his name? Oh boy. Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin. That's what most people would say, but it's Vladimir. Vladimir. (laughs) Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin. Okay. So I had to learn, I had to relearn, you know. Yeah. We Americanize a lot of things, but. Yeah, it's funny because. I love it. Yeah, when you were saying, I was like, well, how else would you say it? Like, I was in my head wondering, okay, am I not saying it right? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, you mentioned COVID-19 and to transition to sports as well. You know, you've got these leagues all thinking, hey, I'm going to come back. And now you've got players opting out. Major League Baseball is talking about they want players to report July 1, NBA before that. And even in Major League Baseball, they have players and staff members that have already gotten a lot of them. A lot of them. Do you ever see us really being able to come back? Or is it just going to be a stop and start? You're going to try to start, but you're going to end up stopping because someone's going to catch it. Funny you say that, stop and start, because that's what's happened in countries around mm-hmm. the world mm-hmm. and in the United States. Because the problem with the United States is we, don't, we did not act as one country. We, individual states did things. But other countries that tried to open up, and they're like, ooh, we're closing back down. I did stories about it mm-hmm. yesterday. So I think the same thing could happen in sports. It's just a microcosm of the world. Sports is just yeah. a microcosm of the world. So there are going to be sports that try to open up and then they're going to shut back down because mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to withstand the, either the number of people who contract the virus or the publicity about the people who contract the virus. So, you know, I lived in the Tampa Bay area of Florida before I lived here, uh, the Clearwater Phillies. That's, I, I lived in Clearwater, Florida. I lived not yeah. far from um, their facility, and they had a huge number of people. Um, I just, I don't know what sports is going to do. I, I think, me personally, I don't care how safe you are. And I think, of course, they're going to try to be safe. Of course they are. But, you know, there's asymptomatic people. All of these sports, you're in close proximity. 
Baseball, probably the least, right? Mm-hmm. The least number of close contact. Well, but, you know, but I don't want to no. totally disrupt you. I would have thought tennis. And yet Novak oh, yes. Djokovic just, you know, announced that he has COVID-19. I just, but you know what? That might not be from tennis. That might be from life. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's true, too. Or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, in all the sports, you're in, in locker rooms and clubhouses, which are closed. You've been in the locker room at Washington mm-hmm. football or at the Wizards or anywhere else. They're only but so big yeah. to try and fit everyone six feet apart to practice social distancing in a yeah. locker room or clubhouse setting, that's gonna be really hard. Yeah. And think about if you as a player, you're at home with say your wife and a couple kids, and then maybe your wife sees her, her, her parents, mm-hmm. and then maybe the parents mm-hmm. see the people at their, their neighborhood. Or you, It's not just you, it's all the people you come in contact mm-hmm. with. So mm-hmm. for people who haven't you know, hunkered down and quarantined for reals, you know, there's just all these ways that it can be, yeah. not, not a lot of different ways, but places where transmission can mm-hmm. occur. That's six and, degrees of separation. Yeah. Like you just never know. It, yeah. So it, I, I, first of all, did you ever think in your lifetime that there would be no sports? No. I mean, did you, I mean, you know, like they say, you don't know what you don't know. So it would not I can't think of a time or place where I would have gone, huh, I wonder if there's ever going to be a time when there's no sports. Yeah. You no, know, there's been strikes, there's been shortened seasons, and there have been shutdowns, but never all of the sports at one time. Yeah, I was watching live, and I wish, it's so long ago, it seems like so long ago, I was watching live after they said, hey, Rudy Gobert tested positive. <gasps> oh, and I was were. watching that next game. Uh, I guess it was at like 10 o'clock and they, and the players start to walk on the court. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they were just like, yeah, they're walking back off the court. NBA's done. And then all of a sudden the dominoes fell. It was crazy. Never expected it. Never, Never. expected it. Never. It was smart of them to do. Yeah. Super smart of all the sports to shut down until you can get some sort of containment. And we still aren't there. Like to me, I don't even know. I understand a lot of the leagues. It's money. And they mm-hmm. want to have this piece of hair. I'm so sorry. It's like, um, <laughs> Wait, it's tough because um, you're at home, right? You can't go to the hairdresser. And get oh, it done. I could, you got- well, oh, child, I did make it to my hairdresser <laughs> weeks ago. After 10 weeks. I'm still I, waiting to go to my bar. I did. And it was funny. Um, uh, there were, it's a big salon and there were five of us in there. So oh, wow. Like 20 feet apart. Yeah. I mean, my hairdresser had on mask. I had on masks. We had on gloves, uh, wow. anything, anywhere I moved or touched, there, the fifth person, so there was two clients and two hairdressers, mm-hmm. and the fifth person was, had, uh, you know, the spray and the, you know, disinfecting spray oh, wow. and a rag, yeah. wiping yeah. everything down. So I felt very comfortable, um, but I didn't take Metro. I drove yeah. my car yeah. because I didn't want to be exposed to a lot of people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, five people in a salon, yeah. doable it's, it's, in a big, when you're, yeah. when you're apart um now i forgot what i was saying well so we were talking about uh the transmission of the coronavirus and how it shut down sports no one expected it to ever be shut down i just can't even i can't even i i can't to me i don't know how we get back to the business of sports until there's a vaccine Mm -hmm. or a very reliable treatment Mm -hmm. now i know the 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 owners want to get back to work because they want to make their money. Yeah. The players want to play, mm-hmm. but they don't want to play and be exposed. Yeah. No. And, well, and the thing is, obviously, well, like you mentioned, I used to work for the Wizards and I, my colleagues, they're like, hey, we don't know what's, what's going to happen here. And, you know, everybody's worried about their job. And the thing that I forget sometimes is, we think of sports as like, oh, they're playing a sport, but it's like, but no, that's their job. Their job. I'm doing my job. You're doing your job. Everybody's going to work. You know, the 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 nurses and the doctors, the uh, you know, first responders, they're all still working. And as much as it is a sport and for fun, that's still a job and they get paid to do it. So mm-hmm. it's a catch twenty two about whether they should return. Although here's what I would say to that. Mm-hmm you know, outside of first responders and essential workers, everybody else is at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're all at home. I'm lucky that I get to 
um, broadcast from my home office yeah. to the world yeah. <laughs> um, at Voice of America. I do. They, you know, they were able to rig a setup for all of the update anchors, and we all uh, do our live broadcast from home. We started. In fact, this is so interesting. So when they made the decision to shut down the Cohen Building downtown, which is where Voice of America is located, and everyone uh, got to go home, we did our and our newscasts are five minutes, top of the hour, for five minutes straight. Mm -hmm. And we would do them on our phone. So mm. when, we when we first made the transition, that's how we would call into the studio, literally calling into the studio where we normally sat. We yeah. would call in, yeah. it would connect, technically connect, and we would just talk on our phone. And then they were able to do something else. And I have a professional mic because I do voiceover work. And then they gave me a mic and they use Microsoft Teams. And so then we were able to do it through Microsoft Teams. So then it started to sound better. Yeah. But you don't have the uh, reports, the, you know, the reporter stories or the what we call sound bites or actualities of things that are happening. We don't have those. So then we figured out a way to do that. So it's been this really cool sort of um, transition from how work works. Um, but my point was, you know, some people are working from home, but a lot of people just aren't working. And in that way, the athletes are just like everybody else. They yeah. are home, um, not working. Um, it's funny because I wonder, I think it's hard because I'm a sports reporter, but I'm also a sports fan. And I'm also a regular person. So yeah. sometimes I get so mad at the athletes about how much money they want to make to go back to work. And then I'm like, but it is their job and they do have a contract. But then I'm like, but look at all these other people who make a fraction of what these professional athletes make and they're making nothing. Yeah. So it's so hard to, I don't know what to think. And, or, what, you know. and, the, and the thing that I think about that is even the people making minimum wage or mm -hmm. seasonal they need sports to come back too to make that income you know to show up at an arena yes. and the interesting thing is as i'm saying that i forget well in this framework they won't be returning anyway right. no. because it's just the point no like, right so did it strike you as odd that the place where um basketball and i think Baseball. baseball. I think, but that they're they're gonna be in one place and it's Disney Florida. Wild World of Sports. Yes, but it's Florida, Florida. the state <laughs> that has one of the you know they they mm -hmm. they have they're in that not second wave. I guess it's sort of a second wave because they opened, but they have a spiking coronavirus number. You know yeah. they don't have the same restrictions as a lot of other states. So yeah. I was like, of all the states to pick, and I know I used to live there, and I loves me some Florida. Yeah, I yeah. thought that was crazy. Like of yeah. all the places, not where 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 it's loose. All the restrictions are loose in Florida. Yeah, that's not where I want to start. No, and I think that in the next week or two, or or heck, by the time this posts, there may be new news that hey, we're now oh, going to yes. either be in Florida or they're going to be. Because the thing is, like it was one thing when they said, oh well, NBA is going to be in Florida. But then to say baseball is going to be there and they're going to be in the same complex sort of like, no, like now we're talking yes. about two leagues so many more being people. in the, the vicinity of, of each other. Right. All like, of them. And even in the NFL, you know, I read that the NFLPA said, hey, for players and speaking of Tampa, hey, you can't do these private workouts. And now I saw reports today that Tom Brady was like, well, for my Buccaneers, we're going to have these private workouts. And yeah. that's just what we're going to do. <laughs> Can you, by the way, that used to be my team, the Buccaneers, right? When I lived in Florida, that was my team. And they were mostly always terrible, but then they won a Super Bowl. Yay. Now that was yeah, after yeah. I moved here to DC. They yeah. won a Super John Bowl. Gruden. Took John over Gruden. Tony Dungy. That was Tony Dungy's team. That was, that was Tony Dungy's team. man, Tony Dungy's team. And, and the Bucks got lucky because John Gruden came over uh, from Oakland. So he knew all their secrets and I'm so grateful for it because we got a Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm so grateful for that, but then hadn't done much since really. Mm -hmm. And when I was hearing these rumors that Tom Brady might go to Florida, I was laughing. I was laughing so hard. Yeah. <laughs> like Tom Brady's going to go to the Buccaneers. Yeah. 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 Right. Sure. And then it became real. And then the extra layer, he doubled down by bringing Gronk, Gronk. back. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. That's hilarious and exciting. And I was like, hmm, I might watch my team again. Yeah. I, I, I am really looking forward to football for that reason. Oh um, I'm looking to football. You know, I was reading the other day on NFL.com about what teams may be the best team for Colin Kaepernick to come back to. One oh. of them was like the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Dallas Cowboys. Like, whoa, that would be interesting to see him come back to, and playing for a team. Can, can he, is he, is, he's clearly not football ready, but is he healthy enough and can he do it? I feel so awful. This guy lost four, the best four years of his life, of his mm -hmm. career. Best yeah. four years. Yeah. He's 28, right? He was mm -hmm. 28. Four years uh, of his career, I just am, wow, saddened by that. Um, I guess he can come back. Josh Johnson hadn't played since 2011. Oh, that's true. And Washington signed it. That's true. Tom but Brady's still playing at 41. So Tom maybe Brady for. Is different. Tom Brady. Well, that's true. I, let's not put him that. in the same category. I say. Wise, I'd like to think Cap is healthy. 80% of Tom Brady is better than most everybody else who leads. So it's like, who cares if he's 92? We'll take him. 90, 92, 92. <laughs> He'll be in a walker, just hand the ball off. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's going to be fine. But I mean, Colin Kaepernick, I just think, I just think, I have so many thoughts in my head. The yeah. things that happened to him, in my opinion, uh, as a brown person, uh, and as a person who's very passionate about things I care about, I just feel... He was done so wrong. He was um, blackballed, my, mm -hmm. my words, my opinion, and misunderstood by so many people. And what, what really is ironic to me now is this post-George Floyd, Derek Chauvin world we live in, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of talk about peaceful protesting and a lot of people who use um, code words about the type of people who are uh rioting not protesting rioting and looting and the violence mm -hmm. and all of those things and and you know, why can't you just peacefully protest well colin kaepernick tried to peacefully protest about mm -hmm. the very thing that these riots and these protests uh why they're going on in this country and around the world that's what he was kneeling about and peacefully and he and he actually you know had a conversation with a Green Beret, with a military person. Mm -hmm. So he could do it right and properly and with respect. And so uh, I hate that he did all of that. And it's sort of like full circle, like, well, now, you know, we don't like that violent stuff. We want the peaceful stuff, but not the kneeling. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I just, it's hard. It's, uh, it's, we're, we live in troubling times. We're at a very, pivotal inflection point in our culture and I find that sports is at the forefront because now it seems like what other career can you think of if you look at Maya Moore mm -hmm. Natasha Cloud Natasha Cloud I, I am like... not gonna defend my WNBA championship with the Washington Mystics to try to affect change I mean social justice right Right. That, that's like a, a new age. And Colin yep. Kaepernick, you know, for better or for worse, that's what he wanted to do and still yes. be able to play football. Yes. And he was not able to do it. They would not allow it. Um, and even now there are still people who, it hurts my heart, who still want to make it about the flag or the military or the national anthem. Mm -hmm. It's about racial inequality. It's about police brutality. It, that's what it's about and so dang <laughs> we yeah. have to get more of that we have to fix that we have to figure that out i don't know if we can as a country or mm -hmm. as a society i don't know if we can i mean you're brown too we've seen a lot of things in our lives um so we'll see i, I do feel a little bit hopeful but you know rodney mm -hmm. king got beat up pretty bad and those officers were acquitted and not much changed. A little bit changed, but not a lot. Yeah. Changed, you know, yeah. so I just, you didn't, yeah, have it, I just it, said it. <laughs> no, and, and no, but, but that makes it really difficult because how do you protest? You know, mm -hmm. uh, Colin Kaepernick did it on the biggest stage and at the time where everybody is still and you can see him kneeling. But even when you talk about more recently, the NBA coming back, 
right? Mm-hmm. The players are trying to decide what will they do. NFL yep. saying, well, we'll all kneel. Yep. But is that, would it be just as effective if after every game or before every game, you talked about it? And yes. in your post-game press conference, you said, hey, before we talk about that, yes. I've got something else that I want to say. Here's what, I, here's what we've done. We've given money to whatever, training of law enforcement or citizens brigade meeting with you know law enforcement or whatever. I totally mm-hmm. 100% um, agree with that. I, mm-hmm. I, but I do disagree with you on one thing. Okay. Colin Kaepernick, he did it for three games before anybody knew what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, everyone says big stage. He drew a lot of attention to it. He really didn't. Mm-hmm. He quietly knelt. Nobody even noticed till the third game. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah. it became a then it became a big thing. Flashpoint. Yeah. And then other players started kneeling, and so yeah. And 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 you know, shifting a little bit to that civil unrest, being in D.C., mm-hmm. you know, it's at the in some ways the epicenter with the president mm-hmm. being there and. Even mm-hmm. last night, they were trying to take down Andrew Jackson's statue in Lafayette Square. I know. What, what has it been like Ooh. for you? Kind of going back to Voice of America, but just in general, mm-hmm. you know, just seeing it happen before your eyes and trying to find the best way to have difficult conversations, mm-hmm. protests, mm-hmm. And, and get on the other side of this where we understand where each other is coming from. Everybody's opinion, they want to be heard. Funny you said difficult conversations because that is the thing that I've been saying to so many of my, I have to say white friends because they're the ones who who are reaching out to me. So many of my white friends, I'm saying, you have to have the difficult conversation. People are like, well, what if I say the wrong thing? And it's like saying something is better than saying nothing. Nothing. And when you say nothing, that says a lot. Yeah. Like I, I, one of my favorite phrases is that silence is deafening. And it's mm-hmm. true. If you don't speak up about something really important, that says mm-hmm. a lot. I actually have a story that I, I say story, meaning not a television story that I did, but something that happened to me and another person. And so I ended up making a little video about it. And as soon as I'm done with you, I'm going to go post it on uh, Twitter at Diane's Talking. There you go. Yeah. I'm always learning. I should take but, notes. I should take but, notes on <laughs> push my well, content out. <laughs> so I um, spoke with, there's a, a, a former television reporter and anchor from Washington, D.C. named Deborah Alfron. She now um, consults young broadcasters up and coming in the business. She brings veterans in um, to come in and speak with her mentees. And I did a week or so ago, I spoke with some of her mentees. And so when she booked me, much like when you, well, no, I think you booked me since this, of course. Mm-hmm. But when she booked me, it was before George Floyd. Mm-hmm. But by the time I spoke with her mentees, it was after George Floyd. So a lot of our conversations, you know, surrounded race and how to talk about race in the newsroom and how to cover race-related topics and how to cover protesting and all these different things. And when you're young, I don't know, you know, remember back to when you were younger and you're in a newsroom and you want to be careful about what you say and what you do because yeah. you, know, you want to yeah. fit in and you want to do and say the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so I was saying to them, you know, guys, you have to, this one girl asked, she goes, but I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. I was like, I'm sorry, you know, try being black. We we're, you know, we're uncomfortable all the time and you have to do the uncomfortable work. You have to start the dialogue. You just have to, otherwise things don't change. So fast forward a week, which would have been last week, she texted me and said, well, I did what you suggested and it went over great. And my news director praised me and I talked, you know, we started dialogue in our newsroom and we've had meetings and I just want to thank you so much. Well, I was tearing up because mm-hmm. that's what we want. We want dialogue, right? Because you can't hate somebody who you know, mm-hmm. having conversations with, having lunch with or dinner with or sharing a newsroom with if you have dialogue. So... I was so pleased. So I just finished that video. I put some pictures and added some music. And, um, but that, that's what you want. You want, okay, here's the problem. Here's the suggestion. Here's the action. And here's the reaction. And that's, so I want that to be replicated in newsrooms around the world and newsrooms around the country. And then just in neighborhoods and offices around the country. We have to start talking with each other. And I, you know, I mentioned last week I did an interview with um, 
person I interviewed was David Beasley, who's the executive director of the World Food Program of the UN. He's a former governor of South Carolina. And he's the governor uh, who brought down the Confederate flag off of the Capitol, mm. which was a big moment in South yeah. Carolina. And he didn't get rid of it. He took it off the Capitol building and put it on the grounds. Mm -hmm. And that man was not reelected. Yeah, yeah. He was not reelected. That's how strongly they feel about the Confederate flag in the South. And, and so this is the same man who, after Dylan Roof, um, shot and killed nine parishioners in that church in, church in Charleston, South Carolina. He's past being governor now. Mm -hmm. He spoke with blacks and whites at different churches and said, you need to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. pick someone from your church and someone from your church and go out to lunch once a week. Mm -hmm. That's how we're gonna solve this. That's how we're gonna figure this out. Because once you connect with people on a regular, real level, mm -hmm. you can't you know, hate them as a group. Yeah or misunderstand them as a group if you start knowing individuals. And that was a very successful, I call it a campaign because I can't think of another word for it, but that was a very successful campaign or movement or whatever in South Carolina and he became a hero again. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I was talking to him about how COVID-19 is affecting uh, the food chain supply around the world. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then after we were done talking, you know, we talked about that and I think that's what we need now. Churches need to talk to churches, you know, Fortune 500 companies need to talk, talk to Fortune 500 companies and, you know, people, neighborhoods, uh, it's harder to do with COVID-19, got to have a lot of Zoom meetings, but yeah, yeah, you just have to talk to people who look different than you, mm -hmm. you know, uh, different, different race, different religion, different gender, different culture, different ethnicities, because when you talk to them, you learn about them and you understand where they're coming from. And I think it can be really powerful. So I hope there's more dialogue. Yeah. Um, less violence and more dialogue. But I understand the violence. Do you understand the violence? I understand the boiling over of mm -hmm. enough is enough mm -hmm. that um, I'm tired. Yes. And I, I don't think that. It. No. I don't. think it's, it's an age old adage that when you're back into a corner, that's what you do. You lash out it's a last resort it's a like hey you aren't listening, listening to, to me, me. Yeah. i am tired of trying to talk yes. to you yes. and i've got to do something else that's going to get your attention and make you say hold up yes. we've got to turn our attention to you yes. for better or for worse yes. and the violence seems to be it no like you said i don't condone it i don't want to I see it but i don't want to see it no. it's a last resort is what it ends up being that's what it ends yeah, up being to I me. I just feel, I feel sad. Yeah. <laughs> I feel really sad about it because I understand it. I don't like it, but I understand it. And then there's this other group of people who just don't even understand it. And they're mm -hmm. more upset about the protesting or the loot. They're more upset about someone tearing down a statue or defacing a statue mm -hmm. than they are about the number of African-Americans who are dying needlessly. Mm -hmm. Um, you know what I, I talk to some people about is in some ways it's almost like finding that middle ground between Dr. Martin Luther King and I have a dream and Malcolm X oh, by any means necessary. I knew, yep. And yes. it's like, okay, where, yes. where's that middle ground? Yes. And I think the protest, uh, uh, is, is a part of that, of people trying to figure out, can we talk about this mm -hmm. if we can't really talk about it or see results, right? You talk about, you know, the, the silence is deafening. You know, I'm like, okay, talking is one thing, but when you see action, mm -hmm. action is what it is. And speaking of that action, when you look at the sports landscape and the sports media landscape, mm. what about the representation of minorities behind the scenes and in front of the camera? Mm. When I watch today, it's mm -hmm. almost like I'm paying attention to mm. Do we have enough representation, specifically mostly on camera, because you see the people on camera, but behind the scenes, is there enough of, of people of color being a, a part of the conversation mm. for the media landscape? Because realistically, that's where everybody's getting their news from, is media. That's the, that's the problem is, in decision-making spaces, are there enough people who don't look like the majority? Mm -hmm. So are there enough African-Americans 
are there enough women, Asians, Hispanics, a gay, lesbian, bisexual? I mean, you name it. You have to have different people in your decision making mm-hmm. or people keep hiring people who look like them or giving jobs to people who look like them. And so that's how, you know, people talk about the glass ceiling for women. And that's a very, that's a visual thing. People understand it. They understand, oh, women have never been in the room with men, meaning decision-making room. And so it's harder for them to break in. So women in sports, that's not, uh, it's not uncommon anymore. It's not common, but it's not uncommon anymore. Well, there was a time, there were no women in locker rooms. There were no women covering sports and men didn't want us around. So there's been progress there, but it took a long time. And at what cost? And we are still not um, fairly represented, uh, percentage-wise, proportionally represented, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing with um, people of color. You know, you look at, I, what I would love is for somebody to do some sort of investigative journalism and pick like five Fortune 100 companies, Fortune 500 companies, five uh, sports franchises, five, I don't know, pick another, you know, nonprofits. Non- five, yeah, whatever. I was going to say, yeah, you yeah. Know, government agencies. Five, five, five government, government agencies, agencies, five churches, or 10 or whatever. And look at this, look at the um, decision-making body. Look at the board. Mm-hmm. Look at the chairman of the board and the board members. Mm-hmm. Look at the managers. I want to see what that looks like. Because did you see somebody posted yesterday, the board of NASCAR? Yeah. All white men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when you're, when you're all white men talking about the Confederate flag or diversity, even when you are compassionate and caring and passionate and woke and all of those other things, you still haven't lived the life. So you right. need that perspective in the room. Mm-hmm. It's like in sports and coaching, you know, not enough African-American coaches or general managers. I mean, they're just not. And why is that? Because the people who are doing the hiring are the white men and they hire people who look like them, their buddies, the good old boy network. It's not always malicious. It's just, Oh, you know, I worked with Joe over here. I'm going to hire Joe. Okay, no, mm-hmm. how about you, you, why don't you interview five, 10 people? Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I love talking about the Mike Tomlin hire. You know, the Rooney Rule worked with Mike Tomlin. Hasn't worked since. Yeah. But it worked with Mike Tomlin because they wanted to hire, they were going to hire somebody else and I forgot who they were thinking about. But they interviewed him and he blew them away. And delivered Super coach. Bowls, right? Yeah. And delivered Super Bowls. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the Rooney rule can work and that can be replicated in other sports franchises and other businesses and nonprofits. Nonprofits, you probably see a lot more people of color on the boards, mm-hmm. probably. But I want to see, I'd like to see some examples. Yeah. Um, and, and I know, you know, here's what's funny. It used to be hard for me to talk about these things in, in a public forum. Mm-hmm. I would have these conversations with my friends, no yeah. problem. It used to be hard for me to talk about this in the public forum because I was afraid of what white people might think about me. Like, you know, she doesn't like white people or what, whatever the thought in my head would be about me talking about race. But the reason I talk about it now so openly ever since the George Floyd situation is because like you said, we're at a crossroads, you know, we're having a moment. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to someone on the phone today about a potential job and that's the word she used. We're, we're in a moment. Mm-hmm. And we have to do something. And so I hope we do something. I do. I do I too. I hope we do something. And it's not, so my talking out and speaking out is not in any way, shape or form against white people. It is me hoping to impart some information that, so that white people can understand sometimes the way people of color are thinking or feeling Mm-hmm. Um, in this crazy society. We all and, have stories. Yeah, we do. And, and I hope that even if we can't have someone looking, watching this, can hear it mm-hmm. and understand the conversation, even if they're not actually talking to mm-hmm. us, maybe it helps educate them. Yeah, just a little bit. That's, yeah. that's my, I, I um, on my personal Facebook page, and I went to high school in Georgia. Mm-hmm. 
my dad was in the Air Force, Korea Air Force, and I was, so I was an Air Force brat for most of my years until he retired in a small town in Georgia, about an hour and a half south of Atlanta, Atlanta. Warner Robins, Georgia. And um, <clears throat> so I have a lot of people who are former or who are classmates of mine who think differently than I do, very strongly, a lot of them. And so I have been speaking out on my personal Facebook page and posting some you know, articles that I've seen, hopefully that, that would be helpful. One is like 70 things white people can do. I uh, forgot the rest of the headline. 70 things white people can do, like to actually do something to, mm -hmm. about you know, some of the racial problems we're having. And so I, I just poured out everything I was thinking and feeling. It was a really long post, not like me. And then I attached that. And so a classmate of mine who is a white man and uh, thinks differently about me, about everything, politics, I mean, everything. But he's such a good person, right? Mm -hmm. And he, I don't think he would ever call himself racist. Um, but his, the, his thoughts and views are just different. And he private messaged me and said that he read that article. He read every, every one of those 75 and that he read what I wrote and that he was going to try to do better. And I was like overcome because that's, that's what I'm trying to do. Reach people like that, have dialogue with people who think differently so that we can exact some change. So it'll be nicer to live in our country and our world. Yeah. Right? One by one. Like, yeah. One by one, Diane, we'll make change. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. And uh, uh, I've appreciated this dialogue with you. It's been Man, it wonderful. Went, it got intense, didn't it? It did, it did. All for sports, but hey, just for sport, you know, we did talk a little bit about sports and Jamoki, what's your favorite you. sport? Oh my gosh. So you're a tennis guy too. So, right? um, tennis, basketball, basketball. and football. Tennis, basketball, and football are my three favorite, and mm. it, it isn't really the a, best one. A one, one, two, three. Well, if you're gonna say baseball, uh, if 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 hello, but, yeah, uh, the best I would sport like there is. I would like for baseball to come back because I want to see the Nationals. I know the Nationals defend their World Series right? title, and so my dad and I were watching Game Seven on the couch. Ooh. It's like, ah, it's in Houston. It's not like we're there. So it's like watching on the couch. At about the third or fourth inning, I said, Dad, I I'm going to go down to the stadium. I couldn't convince him to go with me. And I go down to the stadium. And if anybody knows D.C. and where the stadium is, they open the stadium for people to watch it. But you had to get there early. And obviously, I was not there early. I had but a ticket from a friend. A I was there. You were there. Oh, child. What I remembered is, the parking garage is right next to the stadium. Yes. I took the stairs to the top of the parking garage. I felt like I was in the stadium. Yes. And I could just, you know, it was like being out in the outfield, watching the whole thing. Oh, yeah. And I got my newspaper that, yes. uh, you know, uh, eventually when I start decorating all of this, I'm going to put it up on the wall. Um, but I've got my newspaper yes. that the Washington Post printed yeah. out that night and just being there in the crowd. So it exciting. Just, it it was. was crazy, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. And especially considering I worked for you in Fox 5 for the inaugural season, right? I was in for the inaugural season. Oh, that's what I was at Fox wow. 5. Wow. It was, that was so, last year was so cool for DC with the, with the Washington Mystics winning the WNBA championship and the and Washington Nationals winning the World Series. I was so happy for DC. Yeah. I'm not a, a, a native, I'm not a Washingtonian, but I've been here 20 years. I love Washington DC. And I, I've covered both of those teams since their inception in town. And I'm so happy for them. I'm so happy for DC. Um, I just, and also with the Mystics, I really like Ted Leonsis as an owner, a mm -hmm. sports franchise owner. So I was so happy for him. I just, but I'm so disappointed that those teams could not have a regular celebration yeah. of their season because mm -hmm. the next year you get to brag all year. Yeah. And yeah. so there's no next year. It's no raising the banner. Oh. The ring oh. ceremony won't be the same. Right. It's, uh, yeah. I think they already had their ring ceremony, right? They had, a yeah, they did the virtual one. Like, 
you know, but with Did you fans, see they had the baby shark on the yeah, ring? Yes. <laughs> I, the, I, actually, I think it was yesterday, the day before yesterday, I wore my baby shark t-shirt. Oh. I have the baby shark holding the World Series. The World Series so, trophy? Yeah, oh, I don't have that one. That was a t-shirt I had to get. I had now, to I get. have to say, you know, we're talking about the Nationals, and I am so happy for them. My team, my baseball team, are the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah. That's yeah. my team. Yeah. And I'm looking, actually, on my wall, I have this big, huge flag banner. Um, Tampa Bay Rays, American League champs, baby, 2008. <laughs> one time we made yeah, it to the World time. Series. We the didn't win is, it, but we made it there. With Tampa Bay, they even with it not being a big baseball market, mm -hmm. as far as, you know, Major League Baseball, I know a lot of people go there and play minor league baseball. Even the Yankees play there. They've always had a pretty good, good team. I don't get it. ALEs champs, 2008. It's amazing. ALEs champs, 2010. AL Wild Card 2011, AL Wild Card 2013. Oh yeah, my team, they've been okay. They have, and at the yeah. bottom of the barrel in payroll. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Maybe not the bottom, but. Do they give you free orange juice? I always think of Tropicana Field. I'm like, I wonder if you get free orange juice or orange Julius. No, is no like free orange juice. No. Child, please. Okay. But I do, you know, Tropicana Field is one of those places. It's sort of like if something happens in your family and someone talks bad about your family, like, you don't talk about my family. Yeah. You can't talk about my family. You can't talk you about can, my family. You can't. That's can. how I feel about Tropicana Field. <laughs> you don't talk about Tropicana Field. Touch your mouth, anybody. But yeah. I, I can talk about it. But I, you know, I love the intricacy. Intricacies. And I understand, like, they built it before they ever had a team. Mm -hmm. And they built mm -hmm. it so long before they had a team that by the time they had a team, the facility was dated. Yeah. If they had built it and it wasn't popular at that time. And it was before Camden Yards, right? Yes. Like that they new had style. Built it with, if they had built it with um, a retractable roof, mm -hmm. It, it, things would have been so much better, but they yeah. didn't. And that wasn't popular then. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they thought the White Sox were going to come there. And then they thought the Giants were going to, San Francisco Giants were going to come there. And then they were trying to get all these teams. And then the year they thought they were going to get a team, Wayne Huizinga got, uh, came in last second and spent all his money. And, uh, and then that's how they got the Marlins. Marlins. And mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. The Rays, that's my team. I love yeah. them. And I and I so I have an American League team and a National League team. The National League team I cover and I'm happy for them because I live in this town. Yeah. And I have all my Matt's bobbleheads. Yeah. I do That's pretty uh, cool. Yeah. That's pretty I'm cool. I'm sorry, Jamoke, okay, I got off track yeah. here trying to say no. goodbye. And I just no, 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 no. no. I, I'm glad we went on a tangent. I think that's what I love about, you know, talking to different people is just kind of hearing their thoughts and, you know, sharing stories is yeah. But I enjoy it. Thank you for being on Just for Sport, Diane. Thank you, Jamoke. Have a great day. You too. Bye. All right, I want to thank Diane Roberts for joining me on Just for Sport. I really appreciate it. Uh, of course, as you could tell, we have such a wonderful rapport, and I love the dialogue, and hopefully maybe you, the listener uh, or viewer, that maybe you learned something and, and, and can continue the conversation of some of the things we discussed in sports and outside of sports. If you're listening on a podcast, please make sure to share, leave a review. If you're listening on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and of course, the Props Network YouTube channel, please be sure to share it there as well. Thank you again for listening. Ciao for now.